As we know it, but I feel fine. From the Sunshine State, I'm Greg Carlwood, and just when we might think things can't get any more volatile, intense, or chaotic, the parasite class says, hold my beer. Toxic spills, chemtrailing, mass shootings, widespread division, an open border, untenable interest rates, rising inflation, a bloodlust for multiple wars, a tyrannical biomedical surveillance state, ESG scores, woke capitalism, demonetization and deplatforming, open-air occult rituals, UFO hearings, and a full-court press of propaganda to keep us all so disoriented and distracted that we just keep flipping channels and sucking on a vape stick as the whole house burns down around. Around us. But these are just the artificial and anti-life aspects of the system the parasite class has seeded, on top of the poison food and dead water, and the more we can turn away from their distracting death cult and instead tune into the magic and abundance of the natural systems we've neglected, the faster we can get through all this. And these are just some of the things I've learned from listening to today's powerhouse guest David Avocado Wolf. And even though he's never been here before, he probably needs no introduction to most of you. But he is known as a renegade nutritionalist, superfoodist, infopreneur, conspiracy researcher, heavy reader, and gastronaut, exploring the most unique and nutrient-dense foods all over the world. He's the author of many books with titles like Superfoods, The Food and Medicine of the Future, Longevity Now, a comprehensive approach to healthy hormones, detoxification, superimmunity, reversing calcification, and total rejuvenation. The Sun Food Diet Success System. Amazing Grace, the Nine Principles of Living in Natural Magic. Naked Chocolate, the Astounding Truth about the World's Greatest Food. And Chaga, King of the Medicinal Mushrooms. But that's not all, folks. He's also heavily involved in the development of health-boosting natural products, teaches several health-based courses, appears in many documentary films, and speaks at a ton of conferences and events, all of which can be explored on his website, davidwolf.com. And it's a pleasure to have him here, the belief system breaker, original thinking advocate, and health-promoting powerhouse, David Avocado Wolf. The day has finally come. Welcome to THC. Thanks so much, Greg. Thanks for having me on THC. It's been a long time. I've listened to your show and so glad to be here. Uh, too kind. And I am glad to have you. I think we've been circling around each other in this not so big conspiracy subculture for a couple of years now. And I'm all psyched up that we were able to make it happen. I know health and nutrition are your main areas of expertise, but I've heard you talk about so many interesting things I hope we can touch on. In a previous interview, I heard you be bold enough as to say you do love looking into a wide variety of conspiracies because they're super interesting and taboo, and you like to have your mind blown by things you have not considered even if you don't always settle on the same conclusion, and that's basically the core philosophy of what we do around here, so it sounds like we're going to be able to have a pretty good time with this. 
despite the fact that we can't deny the times we're in are pretty heavy. Well, you know, as heavy as it is, it's as light as can be, you know, because everything's in balance. So that's all pressing down. But then other stuff is squeezing out between the fingers and going up. So I kind of ride those waves. Those <laughs> those are the waves of surf. Being from San Diego, I think we're both from San Diego. So it's always good to think about those surfing days. And, you know, you want to get in that holy flow and ride those waves. And yeah, there's some dark times out there, but there's also some, some really light stuff happening. And we are the new founding fathers. So we see what they did to the systems that were in place, the corruption and the insanity and the greed and the poisoning that went on. We're here to reset it all again and basically found a new civilization. And I'm excited about that. I'm always excited about that. I've known about these issues really all my life. I was red-pilled in 1975 by my neighbor, Mrs. Smutko. She was a Hungarian woman and her husband was Hungarian and he fought in the Second World War for America and they became Americans and they built a huge empire in the state of New Jersey. And we used to live in New Jersey before I went to San Diego. Way early on, she's like, FDR was a crook. He got the social security on, number on you. They're going to use it against you. She told me in 1975, dude, listen to this. She said that the Democrat Party's ultimate goal was to break down the southern border and have millions of illegals flood into America so that the Democrats could be voted in forever. Wow. Wow. A woman ahead of her time, for sure. And, you know, the longer you're in this game, the harder it is to get that charge from some new idea, to really have your mind blown. And I'm just kind of curious, what has been the most recent paradigm-shifting rabbit hole you've gotten into to maybe get that charge or blow your mind in that way that we might have been used to more so in the early days? All right, I'm going to lay it on you, dude. I'm on day 14 of a water fast. Woo! You want to talk about mind-blowing is start going with less and see what you can do. And, you know, I fast regularly, but, you know, two weeks is, that's full on. And it's been epic. Now, you can't just jump into a two-week water fast, you know, unless you got somebody to supervise you and really keep an eye on you. But I do this regularly. I do it four times a year, at least a week. And this time I was like, no, I need to go deeper. I need to dredge out the sludge. And so that's been a real eye-opening, amazing journey, especially this last week. All my tissues are opened up. I just hung upside down for six minutes. I just feel so good in my body. I feel like I'm 20 years old again. It's crazy. It's amazing. So that's been the most recent mind blower because it's one thing to talk about it, but when you actually do it, you're like, what the heck is going on? This is amazing. And that's the power of the human body. The human body is a noble organism. We're not an ape or, you know, you know, that stuff's just all BS. And obviously our history is all BS. So you find that out when you really dig into the potential, human potential. And one of our human potentials is we don't need much. You know, once you're constructed, you're, you know, you're not a one or two year old. I know you got some young kids around. They need food. They need to be constructed and built up. But once you're built up and constructed, you don't need much. Very little input is actually required. Very cool. Yes, I definitely planned to ask you about water fasting because I know that's part of your repertoire. There's actually a few subreddits I subscribe to about health, and in some of them, it seems like no matter what a person is asking for help with, the top-voted comment always advises them to start with a water fast for four days, two days to get everything in your body processed and get into that healing mode, and then 48 hours of true healing. And apparently, that solves most problems right there. Would you kind of agree with that? 
that's pretty good. I would say it usually takes actually about three days before you get into full ketosis. You know, I usually try to get people into at least five days because then you get that three days in and then the 48 hours of healing. We call it God's operating table. It's a cool term. And then if you can, I try to really drive people to a week long. So I've led those for years and years and years where we do a two-week cleanse and we just get people to pare down their diet, cleanse their bowels out, get down their calories, get on plant-based food. And then the third week, if people want to, they can continue with their juice fast or juice feasting or blended or smoothie diet, or they can go into the water fast with me. And so this time I was like, okay, you know, week, it's not cutting it. I'm, I've done too many week-long water fasts. I got to go deeper. So now I'm in two weeks. Well, kudos to you. I don't know if I could do it, but tell people a little bit more about what water fasting does for the body. Obviously, you said it gets us into ketosis. People probably know that word by now, but I've also heard you talk about parasites, that a lot of us are full of them. And of course, the Western medical system doesn't acknowledge parasites as a potential cause of our various health problems really at all. But if we weren't sure if we harbored any, this, among other things, is a process that will starve out those potential parasites, right? There's a great book out there, Laura Rohr, and it's called The Ropeworm Protocol Bible. And in that, she cites Russian research that indicates that there might be worms that are endemic to the human species, meaning that we are so riddled with parasites, it's crazy. That's that theory that's presented. And over the years, man, I have to say that I'm more and more and more in that camp because I've done rigorous parasite cleansing. And generally, before we even get into that two-week cleanse, I try to get people to do a month of taking our rug product, my friend Dr. Group's Paratrex product, my cousin Jervine's Symbiotica product, which is the Para-X product, Mimosa Putica seed, Fenbendazole, which is a synthetic but very effective parasite killer and ivermectin those six you know some combination of them one two you know whatever you can do and then you do that for a month and then when we get the cleanse going you know you could stay on it and hopefully even squeeze two weeks of that in there but once you get to day 15 on the cleanse and you know obviously six weeks in then you let all that stuff go and then you get into the fasting that's generally the program that i'm putting out there so i've done that consistently and i have to tell you i'm convinced that if you have worms, you're going to get colds, coughs, flus, fevers, sore throats, all the symptoms that come with all that. And what we can get into here on this show is I've spent 30 years trying to figure out how to beat the common cold, and we've figured it out. We have definitely figured it out. It's not something that like anybody can just go, oh, yeah, I can just do that tomorrow. It's not a magic pill. It's discipline. It's effort. You have to work on certain habits. You have to work on certain cleansing. You have to get the parasites out. You have to build up the momentum of immunity with the medicinal mushrooms and similar tonic herbs. And then there comes a point where you're immune. Like I could stay up all night, every night. I'm not going to get sick. I can be exposed to anything on planes, trains, automobiles. No chance I'm getting a cough, cold, fever, flu, sore throat ever. But it didn't start that way. And so that I can definitely teach that because I believe that we have cracked the code on that. Yeah, sounds like it. Damn. The audience has already heard too much about my sinus problems, but nothing I've tried seems to fix it. Maybe I give up too fast, but yesterday I went to this place called the Drip Bar. It's IV therapy where they put a bag of vitamin C, D, B, and some other stuff right into your bloodstream. And not only are my sinuses not better today, 
but I kind of feel like I'm in a weird fog and I can't shake this odd chemical taste and smell. Maybe that wasn't the best way to go about it, but apparently I should just do less. Why overcomplicate it? Water only for four or five days. It really doesn't seem to require some exotic, complicated fix if I were to just commit to that process, right? Sure. I mean, but do everything in a measured way, right? So you got to pare down your diet. You got to prepare your body for water fasting. And by the way, over the years, we tried four days preparation, week preparation, 10 days preparation, 11 days preparation. Eventually, I found that two weeks is really the best for most people. So first week, you go to one meal a day, bring your calories down through that whole week, clean your bowels out, enemas and colonics or laxatives, things that will get you cleaned out. Second week, go on all liquids. Again, you're, that whole week, you're bringing your calories down. And then on day 15, you're ready to fast. That's the strategy that I found works for almost everybody because it's not too quick and you've built up momentum. So by day 15, you got momentum. You've had some breakthroughs. You, you know, you've gotten some interesting things happening in your body. You had good releases, for example, or you know, major changes because you did real low calorie days and you got that momentum that drives you. But if you go too long, if you like go, I'll, I'll prep for three weeks or a month, that's too long. You know, then it's overripe. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. And our health is obviously one of the most important factors in our lives. But I wanted to get into some other topics, some more unique stuff that I can talk to you about, but not many others. And one of those things is that two of your favorite thinkers are also two of mine. And that's Rudolf Steiner and Charles Fort. <laughs> and I'm not aware of many people who seem to know them both as deeply as you do. I guess I would ask, how have the writings and ideas of these two fellows been incorporated into how you see the world? Charles Fort and I have the same birthday, August 6th. So I love Charles Fort's writings. I was exposed to Charles Fort by my friend, Alan Steinfeld, who's a conspiracy theorist from New York City. And when I lived in New York City for a bit, we would go to his house every couple of weeks and have a study group. And it was always conspiracies, ufology, Bigfoot, whatever. It was always that kind of stuff. We just had fun. All the crew was there. What a great way to have a meeting. But one of the things he said to me one day, he said, have you ever heard of Charles Ford? And I was like, no. He's like, you need to look at a Charles Ford. And so I got Book of the Damned, Low, Wild Talents, and New Lands. And what a revolutionary first section of the Book of the Damned. And then I started realizing like, whoa, he's on to the science bullies. He understands scientism. He understands that they're trying to put this parasite religion on us or scientism, which has all this fake crap that's pushed in and that all these truths are actually bullied in. And one of the great insights of Charles Fort was that like science, for example, or scientism is trying to bully in their worldview by deleting and stuff. You don't look over here, but this, we're real. This, look here, that we've got it figured out. It's so incredibly awesome what Charles Fort was able to do. He made a massive leap in philosophy. And to me, Charles Fort's philosophy is one of the most trite and one of the most phenomenal philosophies of all time because you can never get to the all by deleting stuff. And one of his great phrases, I love this phrase so much, I live by it. And that is, the pen is mightier than the sword, but the scissors are mightier than the pen. What we cut out, what we delete out and just, well, we can't, don't look at this, get rid of that. Oh, gonna cut that out, don't look at this. And that's the censorship culture that we live in right now. Don't look over there because 
essentially the scientism is another fake structure that's going to be toppled and is held in place by bullying. Mm-hmm. Well said. And Steiner was also big on scientism and getting past a lot of that stuff and the experts. I think he has that quote that people know now since COVID about the future is going to be people led around with a white lab coat, scientists on one arm and a police officer on the other arm. And it's like, wow, from 100 years ago, you called that out. I mean, same with Charles Fort. A hundred years, a century in advance, these people knew the direction that the world was going to go. And it's pretty amazing. And as for those things that have been cut out, what do you think are some of the most important things we should fold back in? Well, one of the things that's so beautiful about our world is the paranormal. And that's where the magic is. That's where the inspiration comes from. So for example, this idea that like, oh no, there can't be Bigfoot out there. Come on. I mean, there's tens of thousands of reports. I mean, what an absurdity. We got video, we got hair, we got scat samples. We've even got bodies. We got every bit of evidence you could ever want. And they still like, no, this can't exist because either the person just unconscious and can't accept it, or the system itself is like, don't look there because there's something they're trying to hide and probably has something to do with our origins and that kind of thing. So that's one of the things I like to fold back in is the Bigfoot conversation. And I also like to fold back in the magic of nature where there's phenomenon that goes on in nature, hypersynchronicity. For example, one day I was walking through the forest and I hear like a drain sound. I'm like, that sounds like a drain of a sink. What the heck's going on I'm in the middle of the forest? There's no sink around here. And I come to this area of the forest where this beaver dam had been put in. And then below the beaver dam, there's water leaking out. And just in the unique geology and everything, there was sand and wood all piled up. And then it would pile up and then the water would pile up on top and then it would plunge a hole and go down through it. There was a vortex going down and then that would go to the next pool. And that had the same phenomenon going. And then that would go to the next pool. There was five of those in a row. I mean, whoa, that's the kind of thing where you go, what is happening here? And the power of the vortex or the toroid as the creative force in nature is definitely something that needs to be folded back in. All the teachings of my favorite, Victor Schauberger, and his teachings on spring water and the importance of implosion and the importance of the vortex and how the creative force is a vortex, all that needs to be folded back in. What else? Well, we need to get completely back into all the anomalous stuff like ghosts disincarnate entities, demonic entities, and fold that back in, in order to understand what's happening in our world, right? Because we can clearly see that there's a demonic invasion going on. And it takes its role and it takes its place inside the hosts of unconscious beings, people who have been fooled by scientism, essentially, and believe that there's no soul and you're, you know, you're an ape and all the nonsense that goes on. And so those beings are able to take control through that avatar. And so that's another one we could fold back in. And here's another one we could fold back in that actually the natural world is truly an incredible paradise beyond comprehension, overwhelming in its beauty, overwhelming in the level of inspiration and insight, overwhelming in its ability to charge us up and bring us into pure health. All that could be folded in too. Mm-hmm. Yes, I actually figured that the magic of nature would be one of the overarching themes to this because it is guys like Steiner and Victor Schauberger and Wilhelm Reich and Tesla 
who recognized this. And they, they should really be the Mount Rushmore of science and understanding of the natural world, I would say. And Charles Fort had a lot of interesting ideas that I still, and Steiner too, it's like you hear them say some things and you're like, man, I don't even know how to incorporate that into my world. And one of these is that people might not know, Charles Fort, I believe, is the one who coined the term teleportation originally, a common household word today. And he would talk about these fish falls or these frog falls. We all know that there's these stories of fish or frogs falling from the sky and if you actually look on Wikipedia of all places, it happens more often than you realize. Almost once every other year, there's at least a concrete example of this happening, even today. And Charles Fort was like, hey, we're not going to ignore this. This is a fact, a phenomenon. We have to now explain it. And he thought it was teleportation by a cosmic trickster. He goes on to try to make some sense of it. And I've heard you talk about this, that this is part of maybe the magic of nature that storms will actually be a vehicle to provide species that are needed in a certain area for a certain reason. That's kind of the gist of uh, what he thought and, and how you interpret it, right? You're right on. Steiner said that most dimensional doorways occur in the atmosphere. That's an important insight because I dug through Steiner to really find that information. Eventually he said, most of the dimensional doorways are in the atmosphere. Okay, so then the latest fish fall, by the way, was in Texarkana, Texas. And I think it was in, probably was in, I want to say March of 2021. Somebody can dig that up. But if you look fish fall Texarkana on Twitter, for example, you'll see it. And you'll see that the fish are all the same size. There's nothing else with it. There's no seaweed. There's no frogs. There's no anything else. There's no small little fish. And they're all one fish of the same size. So that proves it's not some like whirlwind because that's what a fort would say to be like, these people are trying to tell you that some whirlwind picked those fish up from some lake somewhere and then dumped them over here, which is just an insane absurdity. They're teleported in where they need to be to bring balance back to nature. And fort also correlated that when nobody's looking, that's when this stuff usually happens. So he was talking about different types of insects in the UK that were missing. And then it was like 1927, 1928. And then as soon as nobody was looking, they appeared somewhere over the English Channel and then moved into England again. And suddenly they were back again. And he correlates all these weather journals and everything else. And he's basically showing you that when nobody's looking, all of a sudden, boom, they teleport in. So that's another interesting observation. And then I would say this. Now we're getting on to something that is really interesting, which is this brings up two issues for me that I finally arrived at after years of studying this stuff. One is, is that nature teleports in what it needs, where it needs it, when it needs it. So the very core, in my opinion, of the whole chemtrailing and cond trailing and just geoengineering is not actually weather modification, although that's happening, that's part of it. The main thing that's happening is that the demonic lower astral entity, Aramon, and you know Aramon from Steiner's writings, which is basically the Antichrist, as it comes to an incarnation, is trying to block teleportations. That's the real agenda of the cond trailing or chem trailing. It's trying to block the earth from healing itself. It'll teleport in what it needs, where it needs it, when it needs it, 
But the chemtrails block that from happening. Now, there's another thing here. If you really get into this, you really start studying teleportations, which otherwise was known as fish falls or frog falls, you know, previously known as those names, you'll find something else and you'll start to realize that the core of the whole globalist agenda, the core of the aramonic deception, the core of all the crap that was driven in, the carbon crap and all of it is about extinction, right? This is extinct. That's extinct. Really? Show me. Show me. I don't believe you. I disagree. I can show you hundreds of animals that were said to be extinct. They're suddenly there again. Tasmanian wolf, the colacanth. We could go on down the list. There's lists of this. And so the idea that things can go extinct is seriously in debate because maybe what happens is the force, God, source energy teleports in what it needs, where it needs, when it needs it. And so there is no such thing as extinction. This extinction concept is the, if you really dig into this, you're going to be like, oh man, this is the whole core of the whole damn thing. The whole guilt trip they throw on people. Oh, you're making things extinct. You can't do that. You can't do your extinct. Going to go extinct. All that going to go extinct. Really? I don't believe it. <laughs> this is really interesting. Definitely some fresh ideas. And it does make me think about the phenomenon of biodiversity, something I've always kind of been curious about. You take an area like the Amazon, and if you really drill into that and just look at the species of birds. I mean, you can watch whole documentaries on the wild mating dance of these birds, and it's like completely foreign to any other thing in nature. And yet there's like 50 different birds with their own unique way of showing their plumage and doing some strange dance, and that exists nowhere else on the planet, so they say. And you just start to wonder, well, where does bio diversity emerge from? Where does this new species come from? Because this whole evolution process is supposed to take millions of years. So that isn't exactly right. So where does a new species emerge from? It seems to be somewhat magical and somewhat out of the blue if the conditions are right. I looked into Steiner for that answer. And Steiner says basically something like this, that Souls, when they're in the spirit world, work on these new organisms and new birds and basically manage to develop them for the physical world from the spirit world. That's Steiner's answer to that question. And, and that's probably the best answer that I've heard. I think about that a lot. So this idea, again, that, you know, we're going to wipe out that biodiversity. Well, the biodiversity comes from the spirit world. And this whole idea that there is no spirit world, well, that's why we have psychedelics. <laughs> right. Psychedelics can instantly cure somebody of the belief that there's no spirit world. And that's a beautiful thing. Right. And that's why it's there. That's why they're there. Right. You know, when somebody goes into escapism and, you know, then they're using psychedelics or cannabis to escape. Well, then we have a problem. And they're falling actually in Steiner's terms into a luciferic impulse or a luciferic deception where they're giving over their power and they're trying to escape. But if you go into this trying to create and you're like, I want to create, teach me, then you're finding out like, wow, the spirit world just right here. It's always been standing room only all our lives. And sometimes we, you know, we got brainwashed by that NASA crap of like, we're alone in the universe. This is so, what an insane scientism program, actually. That was a demonic, satanic scientism program. We're alone in the universe. It's so silly. I love that idea. 
And I've heard Steiner say similar things. It seems like he was one of these guys that had the second sight, maybe Charles Fort too. They just had this natural ability to see the spirit world. And that's why they could incorporate it and talk about it so well. But it makes me think of these legends where a culture would do a ritual and pray to their God and say, you know, give us something that we can really use because we're struggling down here. And then the chicken emerges. And here you have this bird that not only provides great food, but it provides eggs almost every day. The most nutritious little ball of vitamins and minerals and nutrients that we have. And it's just wild because they basically say that these things emerged from asking their gods, which is very similar to what Steiner would say. Yes. And, you know, the chicken, interestingly, is exactly in the middle of all birds, right? You go to the left and all the birds to the left all have speckled and colored eggs. You go to the right and all the birds have white eggs. It kind of fits in the whole world of birds. The chicken is right in the middle. Is it coincidence? You know, what is the meaning of that? And I've struggled with the meaning of that. It's like, wow, the chicken is so closely aligned to the human being. And another thing that comes up in that regard is cotton and the presence of cotton for human beings. And like the cotton in Hawaii, I have a farm in Hawaii, and so we've grown cotton there for years, but it's the native Hawaiian cotton. It's amazing. It's like a tree and just keep producing this material. And you're just like, what's going on? And nobody can track how the Hawaiians got that cotton. Where does it come from? What's the origin of it? Nobody knows the answer to that. Just like nobody knows the origin of the chicken. Nobody knows how the chickens got to Hawaii and what the real origin of those chickens are. It's a guess at best. And the, see the scientism, this is Fort stuff. The scientism is always trying to conventionalize and explain away, right? Like, oh, well, no, we have the explanation. Um, Like, for example, Darwinism, which is the survival of the fittest. Well, who survives? The fittest. Well, who are they? The ones that survived. That's a tautology. It doesn't explain anything. It's not predictive. It's a scam. It's a hoax. Mm -hmm. And this whole idea that we're talking about, the interrelationship with the spirit world, you could also say that it's true of the plant kingdom and medicine men. Medicine men and shamans, these are very simpatico. These are the people in tune with the spirit. So you come to a medicine man, you say, hey, I have this condition. And he goes into a trance and he asks the spirits, well, what do we need? And the spirits say, go out into the forest and get X, Y, or Z and give it to that person. And there you go. And, you know, how did they discover ayahuasca, the mixing of the vine and the, and the plant? It's like, yeah, so many combinations. It seems illogical that this was trial and error. Well, they say the spirits told them. And then if these mechanisms exist, what's really crazy is to think about us today in the modern Western world. And we might be sick in bed with some kind of condition and out in our backyard might be some weed, quote unquote, growing that would solve that because we're wishing to be better. We're hoping to be better. And we're actually involving ourselves in this mechanism without realizing it. And maybe the solution is growing right there. Dandelions are apparently quite powerful, yet we spray them with Roundup and we don't want them in our useless lawns. It's just weird that these mechanisms they're timeless. They're baked into reality. It's our ignorance that is what's changed. You are right on target. Now, I want to say two things about that. One is, is that I spent years living in nature. I live in the middle of the woods. I drink only spring water. We're in a paradise out here, you know, so I'm hunting wild herbs constantly. You know, I was hunting mushrooms yesterday. 
And when you're in that mode and you've been in that mode for decades, you eventually tune into the wisdom of the shamans because you're in tune with nature. And so those things speak to you. And so the unconsciousness of the city dwelling human starts to fade away and you start to come back to normal. And so all those wonderful things that we understand from the shamans of the Amazon and the great Taoist immortals who were, you know, the creators of Chinese medicine and the great yogis of the Himalayas, all that stuff just becomes obvious to you and part of reality. And that is a beautiful thing because you kind of settle in. So your soul settles in. It's just a feel good thing. Now, another thing I want to say is that you're right on about the cure is always right there. And that's been my direct experience. The cure is always right in front of you. It's directly in front of you. It's right around you at all times. So for example, I was in Toronto one time and, and I used to stay with this woman there and she had battled Lyme's disease. And so she's laying down her whole, you know, cause staying with her, she finally was like, look, I need help. You know, I was like, what's wrong? And she's like, I have Lyme's disease. And she starts laying into all this stuff. And I was like, Hmm, I bet you that you have Japanese knotweed growing in your yard. Do you? And she said, no, I don't have it in my yard. I said, yes, you do. And so we went and looked in her backyard and there it is in her backyard. And I was, I got chills, you know, I'm getting chills right now telling the story. And she said, oh, that I'm trying to get rid of that. It was coming up through her yard, right in her way. Like, hey, look, like here, because Japanese knotweed, 10,000 milligrams a day is what you need if you've got Lyme disease, at least as you know, one direction to go. And by the way, I've known numerous people now doing serious parasite cleanses over a period of two, three years that have wiped out Lyme's disease, including, and especially the products that I've been mentioning, Rug, Remove Onto Unwanted Guests, Paratrex, Para-X, Mimosa Pudica Seed. Mimosa Pudica is the sensitive plant. Have you ever seen that plant in the tropics where you touch it and it reacts? It's the seed of that. And then Fenbendazole, which is a broad spectrum parasite killer. It knocked out a Giardia and a friend of mine recently. And then ivermectin. And one or all of those or two of those or pick your favorite, whatever it is. And on it against the Lyme is very effective. And that's been some new information for me because I've been just picking up the testimonials on Telegram. And that's been cool. It's a new insight. So that's another strategy for people suffering out there. But to me, the most important thing is Japanese knotweed. You pull it out by the roots, you clean it up, you dice up the little rootlets, and you just incorporate it into all your food. Tastes good, you know, easy to do and make tea out of it. You can incorporate all your food. You can add it to your rice. You can add it to your anything. I like it. Very interesting. Another quote of yours along these lines that I like is that you've said in a previous interview, we live in a magical realm and it's taken thousands of years of propaganda to get us to forget that. And I really <laughs> like that because it really is perception. We have this modern perception that nature is scary and dangerous and all of our modern conveniences guard against that. Yet we're sick, sicker than we've ever been, all kinds of autoimmune conditions. And a lot of it is us staying out of the sun, which is life promoting and not grounding, which if you watch the earthing documentary of Clint Ober, he basically says that if you go outside and spend 20 minutes barefoot on the earth every day, you can't get inflammation. Inflammation is basically the energetic buildup in your body that you're not discharging into the earth. So our shoes, these modern conveniences, they're hurting our ability to heal. Sunscreen hurting our ability to heal across the board, all these things. And then 
if nature is so bad and modern technology is so great, why is our food so shitty? You know, that's another whole can of worms, the processed food. We obviously do whole episodes on that. But if you're going to tell me that you can do better than nature, show me because the proof of all your scientific exploits has been worse. And I think that's important to note. It's like nature. Sure, it has some dangerous aspects of it. But people who live within nature, they learn how to deal with that kind of stuff. And they really aren't afraid of coming across a poisonous snake or this or that. They have a better intuition for these sorts of things. But really just the ground and the sun, we have kind of eliminated them from our life. And look at the results. Again, you're right on target. I've known Clint Ober for almost 15 years. I was the preeminent promoter of grounding for many, many years, probably a decade. You know, this is under my feet, my bare feet right now. This is a grounding mat, a Clint Ober grounding mat, because I found with Clint that if I had, look at you, you got, look at you, (laughs) right on. If you are grounded at your computer, the amount of voltage that's hitting you is a hundred times less. A hundred times. I mean, geez. So it's essential, in my opinion, if you're going to be on devices to be grounded. You could be just barefoot outside if you're on a phone or something. But when you're plugged in, it's much, much worse, just so everybody knows. You don't want to be plugged in and be ungrounded in front of a device. And then the other thing, you know, that you're saying is, you know, are we blocking the energies of the earth by all the shoe wearing? And you're absolutely right. We are. There's no question about it. So being barefoot, you know, one of the things I'm having trouble with, so I'm fasting. So This is another crazy thing, man. Listen to this. So I have an awesome oak tree in front of the house here. And I noticed that just all of the squirrels from the forest, the deer, they're all coming for it. That one tree. There's plenty of oaks in the forest. I mean, this is loaded with oak trees, but that one right in front of the house. And so one day I started eating the acorns. I started learning that whole process, the way the natives did it. And we went through the whole process. And I started realizing that that's the best tasting one. The one right in front of the door. Just, I want people to get that wisdom. That is so big. It's insanely important. What's right in front of you is your best medicine and best food. And then, by the way, and this has been something I'm missing because it's acorn season right now. There's plenty of acorns on the ground, and you know I'm not eating. But if I was going to eat something, I'd be eating those acorns. Acorns give you such an amazing charge. It's not a protein thing. It's not a calorie thing. It's definitely not a sugar thing. It's a wild food thing where you are so charged up. And I do believe this is part of the reasons why the Native Americans were so fit and just so capable of resisting the elements is because they ate wild food. We can get into that, by the way, because I eventually found the only confirmed case of a race of people that ate only wild food, and that's the Comanches of Texas. They were 100% wild food eaters, wild acorns, wild buffalo, wild berries, wild walnuts, wild apples, wild grapes, that kind of thing. Getting back to your point, though, is when I'm out there under that acorn tree, because there's so many acorns and they're so good, but barefoot, man, I'm getting my ass kicked because, you know, those things, they get pokey, right? The head of the acorn just, you know, pokes you. So that's been my big thing of like the last couple of weeks is just dancing on those because I like to go out there and, you know, I'm collecting all the apples from the orchard and all that kind of stuff. And then the sun, you know, the sun is the giver of life. And the sun, as Steiner said, the sun is the abode of God, Jesus, Buddha, the avatars, you know, the great ascended masters. If you really think about that, that's what makes sense. I thought about that for years. I was like, damn, man, he got it. 
So, you know, when Steiner says when Jesus came to earth, he came from the sun, right? When Buddha came to earth, he came from the sun. These bodhisattvas, they come from the sun. And, you know, blocking the sun is so silly. This morning, by the way, we had a frost here this morning, which surprised me because it wasn't a full moon. And I get outside for the sunrise and the sun gaze. And I think you probably talked about this on shows before. There's nothing like barefoot on rock with the morning sun and praying with the sun. I do 10, 12, 13, 14 deep breaths out there with the sun first thing in the morning or last thing in the day looking at the sun. It's just, what can you say? It's just, it's heavenly. Amen. And I agree that nature is magic. And then there's also magic magic. And it's kind of hard to separate the two, right? Because if you get into the occult or the esoteric, it is largely about all the elements and their energies. Even the word pagan, it's like the image that comes to mind is someone who lives deeply connected to the land. Indigenous cultures who are scattered throughout they tend to have pretty robust magical systems, which is really just the relationship with that unseen side behind the veil. Well, not only have the elite gotten us to forget about that and be completely ignorant of those mechanisms, it seems like they've monopolized them for themselves, wouldn't you say, to a degree? Well, yes. I mean, I think what they've done is they've taken control, and I, and I don't call them the elite, you know, and I don't think you do either. It's, we call them the parasite class. And they are parasites. And so what they've done is they've taken control of the educational systems in order to distract, right, and point people into nonsense. Like, for example, if your kid's going to a school every day and they're not learning useful things, get them out right away. Fortunately, when I was a kid, this is crazy. I was thinking about this. When I was in, like, fourth grade, we learned how to make a bow drill fire in elementary school. Nothing like that's going on today. Nothing like that. We learned useful things. So as crazy as it is, I actually did get a good education from the public school system to some degree. I, you know, I learned how to drive. When I was in ninth grade, I had a shop teacher and we rebuilt an engine. We put it into a dune buggy. And one day the teacher asked, hey, who wants to come out with me to the dunes? And we're going to go ride this vehicle. And only two guys said yes. And it was me and this other kid. And we went out there and he taught me how to drive a stick shift. I was 14 years old in a dune buggy and an engine we rebuilt in school. Those are useful things. So again, if you're really thinking this through and you've got kids, you really got to ask yourself, is my child learning useful things? Are they learning to balance a checkbook? Are they learning to plant? Are they learning to pick? Are they learning to dehydrate and conserve food, pickle food, canned food? Are they learning to rebuild engines? Are they learning how engines work? You know, learning how dynamos work. Are they learning about electricity? I mean, every single day should be something like that with the kids if they're in, in a school. Mm hmm. Yeah. Well said. I remember a decade ago, me and my wife, we thought about coming up with the curriculum for a course called American Life 101. That's just all these things needed for modern American life that if you don't have parents to teach you, you would never pick up. And then it struck me that. We're not the first ones to come up with this idea. It's really not that unique and it's not in our system for a reason. It's not that the idea hasn't emerged. It's just they don't want us to learn those kind of things. They want us to be like the babe in the woods with no knowledge of our environment or how to navigate within it. And on the subject of magic, I do like looking through your telegram. It is loaded full of interesting stuff. And of course, we've seen 
esoteric rituals at the Super Bowl and award shows and that weird opening ceremony for the Goddard Tunnel. But this was a new one on your Telegram. You show a video of the opening ceremony of the 2022 Commonwealth Games in England, and you mentioned that it kicked off with ball worship, and it really does. There's dancers doing the bullhorn kind of hand sign, and then a crazy 20 or 30-foot mechanical bull statue gets dragged in by performers acting scared and covered in dirt, and it's just strange because what does this have to do with whatever games they were playing at the time. And I'm just curious what you think about the purpose of such rituals because they do them all the time. No one really asks any questions, even though they're very strange. The audience should be like, what does this have to do with the Grammy Awards or what does this have to do with a tunnel opening? But they do it nonetheless. And I don't know, my best guess is that it's probably veneration to whatever dark entities they're dealing with because those entities seem to feed on attention whether it's subconscious or otherwise, but what do you think are the mechanisms involved with why they feel compelled to do these rituals? Great question. Well, I think one is is that they're casting spells over a wide area, and that's something that they crave. They want to cast a spell. They want to cast their deities across a wide spell. So, for example, dragging the bull out, right? And you know, remember worshiping false idols and all that. They also are partially part of it's rubbing it in your face. And so part of it is kind of like a humiliation ritual, right? Like, look how much control and power we have. Look what we're doing to your civilization. That's part of it too. And then another part of it is they're not only casting these images and sounds over a wide space, but they are in fact behind that doing it with intention. There's an intention there. So the intention in that case might be to get people to worship false idols or to worship the sacred cow or their false idol. That's part of it. And then another part of it is that they know that when you get a bunch of people together and you do a ritual, so let's say everybody gets together with the same intention and they do that in a certain specific way, it can influence the nature of reality because the human is a creator. And so they've hijacked our creative capacities and turned them into demonic pursuits. Now we can flip that by taking our own creative energies getting together with people of like mind with strong intention towards healing, towards developing a wonder of nature and just being awestruck by nature or whatever our intention is. Maybe we want to be, you know, better parents or, you know, it could be something just as simple as that. And we all get together and do that. We're better at it and we're stronger. So when I look at like, for example, Rudolf Steiner, Rudolf Steiner was a white magician. He's describing a type of magic that he's worked out and figured out through his clairsentience and clairvoyance and his capabilities. You know, that's why when you do biodynamic farming as we do, you know, it's the deer's bladder. People have tried elk bladder, doesn't work. People have tried cow bladder, doesn't work. Why the deer's bladder? Why the bladder? And, you know, if you know Steiner stuff, you know that the deer is an astral creature. I mean, you know, we have wolves that live at the bottom of the hill here, by the way, which is so cool because I'm a wolf. That's my last name. And so we have a great relationship with them. You know, I try to get them to come up here and like, hey, come up top of the hill, get rid of these deer because these deer are always getting in my orchard, sneaking in those little cheeky bastards. But, you know, they chewed one up one time and they left a carcass near the house here. And so I took the legs and I studied them and I waxed them basically. I sealed them off and waxed. And, you know, the deer, people don't really realize this. The deer is just, it's walking around on its fingernails. You know, it's just flight of foot. 
it's an astral creature. And that's why the antlers, you know, they go out like this, whereas the cow is very telluric. It's earth forces. It's forces that are coming from the earth and a totally different energy. And Steiner intuitively understood those things. And it was able to lay out a strategy, a magical strategy for farming to increase astral forces, forces that cause flowering and fruiting and that correspond to the outer planets and the stars and then imbue your food with those things. And then telluric forces that build roots and structure and how to do that. You know, that's magic. And that's where we should be going with the direction of our consciousness. And again, what these evildoers have done and demons have done is they've basically said, oh, magic's not real, but meanwhile, they're doing it. I do love those little examples of the spiritual aspects reflected in nature. I heard an anecdote recently about the strawberry, that the strawberry is best for your heart, and yet it looks like a little heart. And these are aspects of the language, the code of nature that we don't have. We're told, hey, don't go foraging because you might eat something poisonous. If you knew the language of nature, you wouldn't because it's not trying to trick you necessarily. It's telling you if you have the language and the code to see these things. And I think that's really interesting. And I'm glad you used the term humiliation ritual just to go back to that for a minute, because again, on your telegram, I know the audience likes these kinds of things and this hasn't been mentioned yet, but Jamie Lee Curtis is an interesting case study. She got caught having this very weird ass framed photo of a naked, bleached white child's body folded up in this like Rubbermaid tub. And she has this photo framed in her office above her desk. She just happened to like take a, a wide photo of her workspace and post it online saying this is where the magic happens. This is where I do things, you know, no pun intended on the magic thing. But she's so numb to this stuff. It's so everyday to her that she didn't realize that photo was displayed there. And people looked at that like, what the hell do you have that framed for? This is some weird Podesta art thing. But then not only did you post that, you posted that after this, she announced a partnership with Pfizer to lose weight so that she wouldn't be at higher risk of COVID. And you referred to that as a possible humiliation ritual. And I do agree these things happen, especially if you're in the lower rungs of the club and you want to stay in their good graces. If you screw up and reveal something, well, now you're going to be embarrassed publicly. That's probably a good example. What do you think about that mechanism and any other examples that might come to mind? Well, I'm thinking of James Cerucci's book, The Eaters of Children. Great book, big, thick tome like that. And in that book, he discusses the way that these evildoers, the way that they block access to power unless they approve it. And if you don't go by their rules, they're going to humiliate you and they might even destroy you. And sometimes they just randomly destroy somebody like Harvey Weinstein just to prove that their power, like you're going to get out of line, you're going to end up like this, right? So they have to do that occasionally too. You know, people could say it's all a conspiracy and maybe it is, but to me, it's really all of this energy is directed through Aramon. Remember Steiner's cosmology is you have Lucifer on one side, escapism, false light, giving your power away. That's Lucifer and all his demon legions and their impulses. And then you have Aramon. So there's two evils, not one. And the second evil is the technocracy and the 
power and the hierarchy and algorithms. That's the other one. That's Ahriman, A-H-R-I-M-A-N. And by the way, Steiner chose that name deliberately. He could have chose Mephistopheles. He could have chose Satan. He could have chose Set, but he uses that Persian word for a reason. And it's worth investigating that word in the history of Ahriman because in the Persian cosmology, Ahriman was eventually defeated by a being of pure good, which was his brother, Ahura Mazda. So the only way to defeat Ahriman is to be a being of pure good, which means you have no skeletons in your closet. Then they have nothing on you. That is an important message for kids today. It's like, don't get any skeletons in your closet because we need you in the legions of good to finally topple Ahriman. Now, Ahriman's energy or his demonic legions work through the human beings. So his agency is working through either unconscious human beings or consciously evil human beings. And that ties all the conspiracies together. And through that network, they're able to control the world because they've blocked access to power. And if you want to get power, you're going to have to eat a kid or you're going to have to, you know, be a pedophile or you're going to have to, you know, some humiliation ritual and they're going to film it Epstein style. And then you'll be allowed to be in there. But if you get out of line, we're getting rid of you. Yeah. Blackmail does seem to run the world. And this is just a curious thing. And this is a quote pulled from your bio. But David is a health coach to Hollywood producers and celebrities, as well as some of the world's leading business people and entrepreneurs. And I know there are good people at all levels of reality, but we hear about so much darkness in Hollywood. I'm curious if you've ever gotten a closer peek behind that curtain than a lot of us listening might have. Well, you know, I went to L.A. first in 1977. And I've been in and out of L.A. You know, I had huge success with great people. So there are good people out there, lots of them. The Nutribolt Project, for example, is a great example of that. I mean, these two guys that I worked with, both billionaires, are wonderful people. I love them. I'll do anything for them. And I did anything for them. And our deal, listen to this, Greg, was a handshake. You tell me where that happens, but that's what happened. You know, that's goodness. And those are good people. And I still appreciate them so much for that. And we had so much fun together. So yeah, there's great people in Hollywood. I like Woody Harrelson. Woody Harrelson's an old friend of mine for many years. And he's not on our level with a full, complete understanding of all the conspiracies and all that stuff. But he's his head is towards the good. I mean, he understands what good is. and He understands what evil is. And he's towards the good. He's an A-list celebrity who's got some sense, which is great. And he has people around him who are like that too, I've met. I've had dinner with, had hung out with. They don't have the consciousness that we have in terms of the broadness of our understanding, but they're good people. And, you know, they're not Jamie Lee Curtis or, you know, some Harvey Weinstein. I call him Weinstein. Mm. <laughs> or, you know, they're not in that boat. So they're great. And then there's good people out there. There's way more good people actually than bad. But again, they're controlling those levers of power ever more carefully as time has gone on. And you can see that change in the music industry. You can see that change in the film industry. In fact, it's gotten so bad in the film industry, nobody wants it. Like, I don't have Netflix. I don't watch movies. I don't, you know, the only time I ever watch movies is when I'm with Woody. And it's usually one of his films. I don't have any time for that stuff. And same with the music industry. Like, I don't really care what the music industry is doing. Who cares? But that doesn't mean there's not great musicians and great people out there. There are. There's really wonderful people. And eventually, we're going to topple their control grid, right? Actually, what Steiner says is eventually it's a moral technology that eventually topples these evildoers. 
a moral technology. What does that mean? It means a technology that really only works for people who are integrous. People have good in their heart. I like that. I have really been fascinated with Steiner for a long time. Dense, hard to read, hard to really get a grasp on. But I do like the Ariman thing you brought up because I always try to remember which one is which and which qualities to attribute to each one because Ariman is like algorithmic thinking. And that is a term that Steiner used a hundred years ago, that the future would be run by algorithmic thinking and a technocracy of pure evil. And it's like, wow, that is so spot on. I think people should dive deeper into Steiner if they haven't already, if they want to know where we're going. But he also was a believer in Atlantis, that that was a real age that we had and that there'd be an antichrist coming. Not my favorite thing because I the Christian stuff, that took up enough of my time when I was young. But if Steiner says it, I'm a little more interested. He thought an antichrist would be born in the 21st century and that that would be a big deal with the rest of the game. A lot of the conspiracy world, the researchers tend to be like, well, this is it. The end is right around the corner. Once they get this piece in place, agenda 2030, it's all over. And then I think it turns off a lot of other people because they're sick of seeing things not actually end when conspiracy theorists sometimes are doing the chicken little thing. Well, according to Steiner, this is going to go on for quite some time, right? That's right. The doom and gloom reports never really pan out. There's good in the world and good will keep fighting. And as the evil clamps down, we, you know, we're going to squish out from between their fingers. And so, you know, I just don't buy into those doom and gloom reports. The world's an amazing place. It's a paradise, actually. And it's mostly people who are city people. They don't get into nature enough, so they're just totally caught up in the internet and city living. And so you get to nature and you get into the wild woods and you start going, oh, yeah, okay, everything's actually good. You know, get to the jungle. So that's why I really prescribe to my people, especially when we're, you know, when we all get together, it's like, you got to get an hour in nature every day. I mean, take your phone, leave it, get out there, bye, go, and just push them out there into nature. And that seems to be a really good strategy to get people to kind of de-escalate this inner war that's going on that like the end is near. The end is not near. This is not the end of the world. We're not even close to the end of the world. There's a lot to play out. We got to stay in the game and fight for good, fight from our heart, and also you know, enjoy the journey along the way. Because when I was a kid, Greg, I had a lot of time to study the Knights of the Round Table. Me and my best friend, that's all we talked about was the Knights of the Round Table and all the different knights. And so, you know, maybe you want to consider yourself a cosmic knight. I mean, I kind of feel like that's the ethic that I live, the chivalric code. And, you know, you kind of cross that with the Indiana Jones archetype. And those are things I can get excited about. You know, so everybody out there needs to really look into like, hey, what gets you excited about your life and what's exciting for you? And putting those two things together is exciting. You put that together and you're like, wow, all of, you know, makes me feel like I'm doing something with my life, something important and keeps me in the game. Yeah. Cosmic night. I like that. When it comes to defeating the parasites, I don't really even know if we can. I think we might just have to wait until their own plan blows up in their face. And that's just the stage of this part of the story. And then we'll build something better on the other side. But Assuming you agree with that, how do you advise people to navigate this time? And maybe we can fold in some of the products and offerings that you have that you would consider in the realm of solutions or things to help people 
stay vital and healthy and just get through this time? What's your advice for the next 10 years or getting us through the 2030 phase? Well, number one is, oh, you always have to work on yourself first. If the mask drops in the aircraft, you got to put it on yourself first, then you save your kid and family. You got to save yourself first. So you got to do the cleansing, the detox, go organic, do the best you can, fast, fitness, survival skills, learn everything you can about living off grid, different technologies for fuel and just all that stuff. So that's number one. And we're already past the apocalypse stage. We already see it all. We know, you know what they're doing and you know all that crap that goes on. The second stage is community building then, which is we've got to then start to get together with our community. Like I know all the community around here. We've known each other for 20 years. You know, we're all friends and I can rely on them. They can rely on me. We're all together. So that's very powerful because, you know, we're up here at the end of the road. So, that, you know, no one's coming in anyway except one way. And so we have built a community. And so that's what the next piece is community building and community action, which is you start to build a grassroots political effort. And that's ultimately what will topple the top-down control is the grassroots will come up and topple the top-down control because local areas will say, we're not doing that. Nope, we're not doing that. Nope, we're not going to do that. And as this builds up, there's too much to deal with. Eventually, the feds, they'll lose their money or the feds of whatever country, the big top-down control will be unable to actually push their agenda down. So that's that piece. And then I would say this is like in terms of the products, in terms of like, what I offer, I think my cleansing is a really good system. We, you know, we've done that for years and years and years on the internet. We have probably 10,000 people have gone through that over the years. So we know what we're doing. It's a really good thing. Next time we do it, it's $99. I mean, geez, I mean, it's the best value you probably ever get for your money. You know, it's that kind of thing. And then I would say some of the products that we do for parasite cleansing, the rug, remove onto what to guess, which is, a, that's our internet sensation. That's our number one product. Interestingly, I didn't plan it to be that way, but that's just what people People found out about ivermectin. They found out that Fauci's a parasite. They found out that it's all about parasites. And it's amazing, the internet phenomenon of it all. But rug suddenly became the biggest one. So remove unwanted guests, that product. My shop, by the way, is shop.davidwolf.com. It's W-O-L-F-E. And you can always track me down, davidwolf.com, W-O-L-F-E. Track me down there. My telegram is David Avocado Wolf. You know my telegram. And that's fun too. And that I've got a feed there. You know, we got over 100,000 people in that feed. And that's really great. And then the charcoal, and that's one of my big discoveries in my career too, is the coal biter charcoal. And I learned the real angle on that in a sauna in Iceland because I'd been writing a book on charcoal and carbon-60 and fullerenes and detox. And I met a guy in the sauna and he's like, do you know about the sagas? And I was like, yeah, of course, I know the Icelandic sagas. And he said, do you know about the coal biter? And I was like, no. And so the coal biter legend, and by the way, charcoal, number one detoxifier, safest simplest, safe for all ages, even children, even one or two years old, charcoal is safe, safe for dogs, cats, everything. Best detoxification strategy ever because it's safe, easy. And you could open a little capsule and put it in the dog's water and they'll just lap it up. It's amazing like that. But the saga goes like this. This is the legend of the coal biter and J.R.R. Token and C.S. Lewis had a club called the Coal Biters. It's in Icelandic history and, and especially Norway, there was always a kid who was the runt of the litter, couldn't handle the cold, couldn't handle the snow, couldn't handle the sleet, couldn't handle the boats, couldn't handle the cows, you know, out there in the middle of winter, couldn't deal with the sheep out there in the middle of winter. So that kid would take care of the home fire, you know, because they had the fire in the home and would eat the charcoal pieces of willow and birch that were at the edges of that fire. And over a period of seven years would be transformed from age seven years old to 14 into the most resilient, the strongest, the most capable, the smartest. 
and the one who would eventually lead the family. And that kid was called the coal biter. It's a symbol of transformation. Damn, I like that. I love a good little anecdote, a legend, a myth that speaks to the importance of something. And of course, you sell that as well. Are there any upcoming events or things we should tell people about before I cut you loose? When's this going to go live? Because October 25th, I'm going to do a live call to the world. It'd be like a three or four hour call. It's gonna be a lot of fun. I don't know if we're going to make that. I might, I'm, I'll try to make it, but if we don't, what's the next thing? The next one will be our next cleanse, which is November 30th. It kicks off and then it'll be November 30th, December 7th, December 14th. And if you want to stay that extra week, which most people do, because it's just a free week anyway, it goes to December 21st. And that way we get that spot right between Thanksgiving and Christmas where people really need to detox because Thanksgiving usually is where all the sins happen. <laughs> yes, yes, we will gorge and then we will fix ourselves. I like it. So people can get mentally prepared if they're willing to undertake that challenge. I might try to do it myself. I have a habit of saying that and then uh, it's on to the next thing with this show. But man, this has been really fun and informative. We covered so many things. Having heard your interviews for years, I knew I could just throw a lot of random stuff out there and you'd have something to say about it. So these are my favorites, just a Pandora's box of many different topics. And it was great. And I hope we can do it again if we do make it through World War III. <laughs> but uh, until then, take care and keep fighting the good fight. Thanks so much, bro. And good job with THC. A great podcast. Best ever. Uh, thank you for saying so. There we have it. David Avocado Wolf. Gotta love it. Man, this was a fun one. And I do consider David to be on that short list of some of the biggest guests we have yet to get. And it is nice to cross off another name from that list. Like I mentioned, I've known of David for many years. Apparently, he's known of THC too, which is always a nice surprise. But it allowed us to get pretty far out with things. Whenever someone tells me they're familiar with the show, I basically just crank it up to 11. <laughs> and hey, there are very few guests I can talk to about fish and animal falls in a serious way. And I think he might be right about this being an aspect of nature's intelligence. Maybe storms aren't just storms for the sake of chaos and random pandemonium. I know it sounds wild, but these occurrences aren't really in question. They do happen. It's only a satisfactory explanation that has yet to be applied. But here's the list just from Wikipedia. They have lists that include frogs and toads, spiders, and a bunch of fish. They list the Texarkana, Texas one from December 2021. And then they've got fish falls in Sri Lanka, Oroville, California, and Tampico, Mexico, all in 2017. In 2016, there was one in Ethiopia, one in Andhrahar Pradesh, and one in Pennsylvania. There was a spider fall in Brazil in 2013, and one in Australia in May of 2015. Frogs and toads fallen from the sky in Hungary twice in 2010, and again in Uruguay twice in 2011. There's also cases of jellyfish, like the one from Bath, England, 
and one case of worm rain in Jennings, Louisiana in 2007. So plenty of them in our lifetime. And we didn't even talk about star jelly. So it's not even as rare as I once thought it was. And as David said, maybe a lot of this happens when nobody's paying attention. And I don't know how you really explain it without portals. But it was fun to hear the perspective on some of these ideas from a person who is in the flat earth camp. I'm pretty neutral on that. I am not a flat earther, but I always know they're going to be fun people. We mentioned Charles Fort's book, Low, but I don't think we mentioned that in one of the final chapters, he says the earth is stationary in space and surrounded by a solid shell, which is not unthinkably far away. Hmm. But it was fun to ask David questions about how he might square the flat earth with the cosmic origin of mushrooms. And he actually didn't have a hard time squaring that at all. I think that was plus show stuff, but still. It was such a whirlwind of topics. I struggle to remember what order they came in, but my scribbled down notes say Antarctica, flat earth, portals, and entities were all mostly plus show things for people who missed out and maybe want to stop missing out. But really interesting take on the Perry Reese map from a flat earth perspective in the plus show. But all around, first hour, second hour, I liked it a lot. David is a good dude who clearly can talk about a lot of things. I love that he navigates largely with that combined wisdom of Charles Fort and Rudolf Steiner in mind. If you search his name, you'll find a couple of hit pieces on David, but that's true for most of our guests. And as I got into them, they seem to just be saying the same old, he peddles dangerous anti-vax stuff. Criticisms that obviously don't go very far with me. But anyone who sells alternative health products gets some of this kind of mainstream normie blowback. Snake oil, dangerous, anti-medical pseudoscience. Yeah, yeah. But whatever. Free market, free speech. The main health thing he pushed today was a water fast, so I don't think the claims that he's just out to sell shit really add up. I think almost everyone in the alternative space has had that thrown at them. And people who make that claim really don't understand how small the alternative market is or understand how much shit we take. I mean, really, he could have just made some basic Gatorade alternative like Logan Paul or some kind of new soda and made five times as much money with only half the grief. But anyway, I hope you guys dug this one. Sign up for Plus if you want more. It means a lot to me. And my family, of course, the kids are too young to know the difference, but they will thank you in the future. But it's not even about me. It's about getting twice as much of a show that you like. The links are right there in the show notes, right at the top. Add THC Plus to whatever podcast app you use and sign up through Patreon if you want to listen to Plus on Spotify. It is that easy. Also, David mentioned an event on the 27th. I wasn't sure I was going to get this out in time, but would you look at that? Three days to spare. You can sign up for that if you want more or just let David know you enjoyed it. He's active on Instagram and Telegram, of course, and Twitter too, I think. But give him a good response so that we know we can do it again. I'd love to get deeper into that map and the 
compositional details that he started to mention in the second hour. But let's look at the meetup calendar if you're interested in talking this stuff over with any local people in your area that you might not know yet. And I hope people who went to some kind of Higher Side Chats Eclipse event enjoyed that as well. But as for November, I'm only seeing a couple. November 2nd, Higher Side Chats fans are meeting up once again in LA at the Flame International Restaurant. November 3rd, we got the High Springs Brewing Company, another recurring event in High Springs, Florida. Also November 3rd, in Tarpon Springs, Florida, not far from me, growing food, freedom, and self-sustainability informative gathering at Moonberry Mercantile and Trading. Hmm, how could I not try to go to that one? November 4th, Dunedin, Florida, also within an hour from where I am. Maybe the locals are trying to tell me something. And November 11th, the Trails Cafe in LA is hosting another Higher Side Chats event. And I guess I can't stop when there's other ones on the same day. November 11th also is a PlayStation virtual party chat and a event in Superior, Wisconsin at Twisted Pastries Coffee House. So not really that empty. It's definitely filling in there. Good stuff. Thanks for taking advantage of this little networking website I made for you. But as always, thanks for listening. Couldn't do it without you. Big thanks to David. Check out his website for a wide range of interesting health-based food items, activated charcoal, parasite cleanse stuff, raw cacao products, etc. But anyway, that's about it for me. I've done my part. Your move, parasite structure supporters, natural system suppressors, and Steiner skeptics. Your fucking move. Sometimes when I get down, I eat a bunch of corporate junk. Process stuff that makes you fat. Yeah, it's a weak and sickly people making industry. Don't tell me, don't tell me lies. Discipline is no fun, I find. Denial makes it all gone. And I don't have to face it, that's right. And you're wrong. Technology, and every now and then I try to quit. And-